Welcome to Stone Cold Strows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975. And make sure you're reading their columns weekly on sportsmap.com. Obligatory housekeeping out of the way. Guys, let's get into it. One of the things that Dusty Baker was notorious for was the constant shuffling of the lineup. Joe Espada looks like he's bringing a new day to the Astros. Over the past few days, he said he wants Jeremy Pena to come to the ballpark and know where he's going to hit. He also revealed over the weekend that he's leaning towards hitting Jordan in the two hole, which is, as we know, by analytics, the best place for your power hitter or your best hitter to hit. I guess on the other hand, if Jordan's hitting in the two hole, he can't hit a three run homer off Jose Alvarado. But that specific scenario aside, guys, what do you think about what Espada is seemingly bringing stability to the Astros lineup? Yeah, uh, not in the first inning anyway. Uh, Jordan would uh, be hitting three run homers. Um, look, it's it's just very refreshing. It's a generational change, right, from old school Dusty Baker, who wasn't completely, completely old school, but much more so than not. Whereas Joe Spada is uh, fresh-minded, uh, just raised basically in the uh, analytics generation. We'll go with Pena first. I mean, Jeremy might not be delighted that, hey, you want to know where you're hitting every day? It's probably going to be eighth, but that's all right. On a meritocracy basis, that's where he hit, should hit in this lineup if you allow that they're not going to put Jose Abreu in the eighth spot until or unless he reestablishes himself as a, as a regular season thumper uh, should also ease a little pressure on Pena being at the, at the bottom or near the bottom of the order. And then up top, uh, generally speaking, I love it. You want your best batters to come to the plate the most that Dusty ever had Jordan as low as the cleanup spot was ridiculous on few occasions. He had him fifth, which was absurd. Second, uh, Jordan, you associate with 440-foot bombs, but Altuve leads off the game with a single or a walk. It opens up that right side with Altuve being held, and in the non-shift era, maybe that gooses Jordan's batting average another 10, 15 points over the course of the season. Uh, my one minor quibble, because overall, I just think this is an outstanding development, that Espada's supposed desired one through four is Altuve one, Jordan two, Bregman three, Kyle Tucker, four, which is righty, lefty, righty, lefty. If Tuck and Jordan are going to mash lefties the way they did last year, I wouldn't be hung up on rotating those four. Uh, I would rather have a faster guy, Tucker, getting on for Bregman than vice versa. Specific exa example. Hey, the starting pitcher gets out Altuve and gets out Alvarez. Well, your number three hitter, Bregman, gets on with a base hit. Uh, he's less likely to score on a double to the left field corner than if Tucker gets on with two out and Bregman doubles to the left field corner. You know, I'm not saying this is the clincher of the argument that it should be Tucker three, Bregman four, but I just like that Espada seems much more willing to tilt the prism, see different views, and come up with sound judgments. I think it's a great development, especially for Pena. I mean, he, he had such a rough year, so much to worry about with, I mean, just 
struggling against that slider. You don't want him guessing if, if he's going to be hitting at the top of the lineup, bottom of the lineup, and the shot to your confidence when you know you, you he actually had a few games out of the two hole, and then he'd find himself batting seventh or eighth again, kind of for no reason at some points during the season last year. So keep the consistency and do it early. I like that he's saying this. At the beginning of spring training, just like he said, Hater, you're going to be my closer at the beginning of spring training. Let guys know what the expectations are going to be. And yeah, Charlie's right. It's a, it's a it's a younger, more youthful approach. I also like that he's going to be, you know, a little more aggressive on the base path. He didn't really think they were they were great at that last year. That's something he wants them to improve on. So and it's funny with the the batting order thing. You know, they're just locked into Altuve leading off, and I'm sure he'll end up leading off, but you know, Bregman could lead off or Kyle Tucker could lead off. They, they have a lot of other options, but they'll stick with Altuve. And I'm fine with that. It, you know, why mess with it? But he does hit for a lot of power and Altuve does swing at a lot of kind of wild pitches. He, he could play well hitting second or third or something like that, but it doesn't matter. No point in discussing that. I feel like that's locked in, but I love Jordan getting more at bats. If I'm a pitcher, I know if, you know, my first few pitches, I'm a little wild and, and I walk Altuve. I got Jordan up with a two-run bomb immediately being a possibility. So I like that. Put the pressure on the pitcher early in the game. Now, of course, this is preconditioned on Altuve and Jordan being healthy all year and playing more like 150 games than in Altuve's case, 90 last season, and Jordan's case, 114. But the difference in batting second in the lineup versus cleanup in the lineup is roughly 30 plate appearances per season. Right. Alvarez is their best overall offensive force. Uh, I'll take an additional 30 yard on trips to the plate versus basically anybody else. So we have one, two, three, four, Pena eight, while Myers is the presumptive majority center fielder. He clearly bats ninth. So that leaves the five, six, seven. Uh, how will Espada process it? You know, will Abreu get the veterans benefit of the doubt and open the season in the five spot? And then you have Yiner and Chaz McCormick, uh, whatever combination of the three, that just needs to be meritocracy as you're moving forward. Whoever's swinging the bat the best, you want in a position in the lineup that he's uh, coming up more. That occasional plate appearance additional per game could be the difference in a game or two or three over the course of a season. And Jordan doesn't steal bases per se, but he's not like he's he kills you out there on the bases where he's so slow. You're just like, Oh, we can't have him hitting this high up in the lineup or, or he can't score from second on a base hit. Jordan can still move around a little bit. He's just not really a base stealer. And regardless of whether it's third or fourth Tucker higher in your lineup is a big deal for me because I think having one of your best hitters hitting fifth for the majority of the year was just seems criminal. So if we assume that let's say Pena and Myers are at the bottom of your lineup. Where do you guys think they're going to fit in? Yiner, Chaz, and Abreu. How, how do you think that gets ordered? I, mean, I would slot Abreu seventh starting the season. He had obviously the worst season of the three. He's 37. Yiner's 25 years old, perhaps an ascendant star, real star, offensive superstar at the catching position and per game played. I mean, you know, he ran laps uh, around uh, Abreu last year. Uh, I'm just very interested to see where Chaz McCormick settles in, right? He had a breakout season as a way above average player, um, you know, where he was in the range of, if you do that from the start of the season, you're going to at least get mentioned as, hey, is that an all-star reserve uh, possibility type of guy? Uh, McCormick of those three uh, runs the best. 
Um, but I would want the highest on base percentage of those three in the five spot and then the additional thump coming after them, six, seven. Um, my guess is it'll be Yiner fifth, Abreu sixth, McCormick seventh. And maybe Abreu gets that benefit of the doubt, as I mentioned, fifth. But they're all three right-handed hitters, so there's not that platoon thing that'll factor into the decision-making. And if you're going righty, lefty, righty, t- uh, lefty, Altuve, Jordan, Bregman, Tuck, well, then righty's in the fifth spot, and that's covered, and then it'll be uh, all righties the rest of the way through the, through the lineup with their majority starting nine. I think I'd like to have Chaz hitting behind Tucker just because he's proven it a little longer than Yiner has. He's, we saw Yiner struggle a little bit last year, swinging at some bad breaking balls. We saw what happened to Pena in his second year. So I feel like McCormick's a little more dependable in that spot. Plus, he's really good at shooting the ball the other way to right field. So if you know Tucker's on second base, that should be an easy run right there. And not enough sample size in Yiner's case that I would have the willies about it at this point. But Yiner had the reverse platoon numbers, right? Where Dusty would say, well, look how he's hitting against lefties. Yeah. And how many at bats? McCormick leveled things out from where he'd been his first couple of years in the bigs, but McCormick basically slaughters lefties against righties. Mm, so maybe that swings it. McCormick up a notch or two against a left-handed starter, Yiner against the righty. And again, are you going to defer to Abreu's career resume as opposed to the more recent results? So that's our updates on the bats. Joe Espada had some pitching updates on the arms. First, says Justin Verlander is apparently progressing along nicely. And Espada won't speculate that JV will be ready for opening day, but I thought it was interesting that he's not ruling out that possibility as well. Uh, JP France does not seem to be as close as he's rehabbing back from that inflammation. And then Forrest Whitley temporarily shut down from throwing after experiencing middle finger inflammation, which I too also suffer from middle finger inflammation as I'm driving down Westheimer often. I'm as surprised as JV's progress as much as I am unfortunately unsurprised at Forrest Whitley's setback. That poor kid cannot catch a break. What are your takeaways from Espada's update and were there any other pitching updates that caught your eye over the past couple of days? Well, the head and shoulders important one is is Verlander. Um, you know, you're basically a month out from opening day. So unless it's 100%, no chance that JV answers the bell uh, March 28th. I guess why throw the wet blanket on it if you're Joe Espada? But I will. Uh, you know, you're over a week, about two weeks into from when pitchers and catchers reported. Uh you're going through a full rotation of, of pitchers uh, through Tuesday when Arkady uh, gets his first spring start. And, and why push it? I mean, even if Verlander was within one opening day start of tying or breaking the all-time record for opening day starts, this is about the 2024 Houston Astros. And Verlander now 41 years of age. Uh, my benchmarks for him would be 25 starts, 150 innings. So if he's a couple of weeks late making start number one, it's all about the long game for uh, the Astros, unless you think it's jeopardizing making the playoffs by Verlander not pitching before April 2nd or 3rd as opposed to April 15th, 16th. Uh, I'll be shocked if uh, he is on the mound uh, against the Yankees. I will be too. Verlander talked to Chandler Rome, some of these guys this week. He's only throwing fastballs and changeups off the mound right now. He's starting to spin the slider, he said, a little bit from flat ground, but he's not even working on that in the bullpen yet. So 
I'd be surprised if he's ready to go that first game of the season, which is fine. You got Fromber, you have other guys. It's a long season. That that should not be the worry right now. The other thing I thought was really interesting was the article Chandler Rome had about Bill Murphy going and visiting Christian Javier and Fromber Valdez in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, we've heard about Christian Javier's weight loss. He's trying to get his mechanics back. It, he's in better shape now. That should help. So they expect big things from him. But the thing that really surprised me was about Fromber's sinker. And that that's what they're really working on, trying to get back to form. Fromber's trying to get his sinker back. And we, we've we all seen Fromber starting to average like 95 miles an hour on the on the sinker. Maybe he's throwing it a little bit too hard. I don't know, but I do know this. This is in Chandler Rome's article. This really surprised me. His sinker generated just 54% ground ball rates last year. That was down from about 69% in 2022 and 75% in 2021. That is a huge drop off there for Fromber. So we all know about the great curveball. If he can get that sinker back, get those double plays happening again, shorten his pitch count in innings because he's throwing more ground balls, getting outs quicker, I, I think that'll be huge for the Astros this year. Yeah, you know, if we remember back to the the steroid era, the one commercial, I mean, it didn't become the baseball slogan, but chicks dig the long ball. You know, if you're a pitcher, you peek around and you see that radar gun, you probably feel a little more manly if you're hitting 94, 95, than 92, 93. Yep. So whether Fromber fell a little bit in love with, wow, look where I can get it on the radar gun. And we talked about this some during last season as Fromber season deteriorated. It's a simple law of gravity, right? If you are relying on the sinking action, the harder you throw it, the more quickly it's getting to the catcher. You know, we're talking milliseconds. It's a game of milliseconds from when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand to the hitter having to react to it and so forth. Well, the harder you throw it, the quicker it gets to the catcher, the less time it has to drop. So a couple of miles per hour difference there can be a real difference. And, and Josh hit the numbers. Fromber was the number one ground ball inducing starting pitcher in the game for two years and kind of became just another guy in that category, certainly as it unraveled over the course of 2023. And on Christian Javier, certainly encouraging news to hear, but uh, I hope no one is, hey, good job, Christian, losing that weight. How about bad job, Christian, after getting $64 million, getting a little literally fat and happy? You know, I don't know if Robert put on the weight too, but a little bit here, a little bit there, difference making in the 2023 Astros season. I'm not saying cause effect. If Christian Javier had been 15 pounds lighter, he doesn't get shellacked in game seven, first inning against the Rangers, but it couldn't have gotten any worse. So if those guys are fit and healthy in between and make 60 starts, if not as good as both were in 2022, markedly better than they were by the end of 2023, well, then we know the Astros are playing in yet another postseason. There's a lot of starting pitchers on this staff. We haven't even mentioned Urquidy or uh, Ronel Blanco. So there's, there's a lot of possibilities here. Do you guys foresee it being an issue of where do these guys, you know, fitting these guys into the rotation? Where do where all these guys pitch? We know Verlander, Fromber, and Christian Javier are your main three. If you if those guys are back to form, your playoff outlook looks a lot better. But you've got the possibility of seeing Garcia back this season as well. So do we think it's more likely of, man, we've got this sloth of pitching and we don't know where to put them all? Or is it a matter of having backfill for maybe some of these guys not being able to return to form? I think nature is going to take its course on this. I mean, Garcia, you're not projecting him back until maybe the all-star break. 
Uh, McCullers, I mean, when do you project him back at some point, maybe after the all-star break and then start the clock on, on his next injury? Uh, I think there will also be qualitative components with this. JP France was a revelation, faded late. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to give you 27 starts with an ERA of 320. You know, he might be a guy you're looking to replace, counting the days to when Garcia and McCullers, uh, uh, one or the other at least, gets back. And Garcia is the guy, you know, should be a normal timeline of Tommy John recovery, whereas with McCullers has been one different injury uh, after another. Um, the trajectory for Hunter Brown, he did not belong in a major league baseball pitching rotation, certainly not that of a really good team. From May 1st on, he was terrible. Right? We know he has the raw tools. What kind of progress does he make? Or is he a guy that you're saying, okay, bullpen time for him? Uh, Arkiti, much injury delayed, and then pitched to an ERA over five uh, last season. So I don't think it's an embarrassment of riches, but they do seem to have enough bets covered on the on the roulette wheel that the rotation you wouldn't think should be something that falls apart unless, as you alluded to, Brandon, the, the top-end guys, Verlander, Fromber, Javier really hit the skids. That's why so much of this to me is on Fromber and Javier this year. If those guys are right, that's going to make a huge difference because you know, pending health, I think Verlander will be Verlander. I think it's kind of what Charlie alluded to. It's who performs the best. Urquidy had an ERA over five. Hunter Brown had an ERA over five. JP France had never done it before until last year and then kind of struggled towards the end. So I think it's whoever's pitching the best at the time is going to get the ball. Obviously, Hunter Brown, they're going to give him all the chances in the world because you see the talent. He's young. They're going to give him a lot of opportunities. But I thought it was interesting. Jim Crane talked about the pitching staff and said, we have like eight starters when McCullers gets back and with uh, hopefully Garcia. So they have a lot of guys. And if that does happen and they return, Crane was kind of like, hey, I, you know, we'll just kind of backfill those other bullpen spots because we have we have so many starting pitchers. But that depends. Who knows how these guys are pitching come July? You know, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know if Hunter Brown's pitching well or not, or if they have to go to Spencer Arigetti or somebody like that. I did find it very interesting that Dana Brown said that they're going to keep Blanco stretched out as a starter just to have some depth. So I was kind of thinking he might be a guy to compete with Montero for the you know sixth inning, you know maybe just a, a regular middle relief role. But they're going to keep him stretched out, which is not a terrible idea. Guys get banged up, especially this time of year, trying to get stretched out. So we'll see. They they had Blanco in that role last year. Looks like they're going to keep him there to where he can come in and get, give you three, four, five innings in a pinch. Yeah, and while you're marking time waiting on Luis Garcia and or Lance McCars getting back, law of averages. Right, the six guys they have aren't going to all stay healthy until Garcia and or McCullers gets back. So whether it's Blanco, whether it's Araghetti, maybe someone really explodes at Double A or Triple A beyond Araghetti. Um, but it's a generally still position of strength, especially when you look at the back three in the bullpen and a lineup that should be one of the more potent ones in the game again. Josh, you mentioned Eric Getty. Dana Brown kind of alluded to they might look to uh, lean on him this year a little bit. So we're going to watch that pretty closely. I think for a team that has uh, had seven straight ALCS appearances and is such a, a veteran team and a good team, there's a lot of opportunities for pitchers to carve out a place for themselves, whether it is a Blanco or a France or even an Aragetti, perhaps. Maybe a Forrest Whitley if he can stay healthy, which I think should be motivation for these guys. Let's move on to our last topic for the day here. Sports historian Robert W. Cohen 
who has written a series of sports books where he ranks his top 50 players on various sports teams, whether that's NFL or MLB teams. He's written his latest offering. It He ranks the top 50 greatest Astros. This broke last week as uh, some outlets have done write-ups on this. We've already seen some good spirited debate on this. For the purposes of brevity, I will uh, just list the top 10 that he has. He goes in order, Bagwell, Biggio, Altuve, Berkman, Oswalt, Cedeno, Cruz, Wynn, Necro, and Watson. So two things that jumped out at me from this list that Astros fans are going to, if not already, uh, in a debate about, which is Altuve not being one. And then I thought personally, Jordan being outside the top 20. And for reference, he is uh, not far out of the top 20. He's 23. But I thought those two were the glaring points of debate uh, when it comes to Cohen's list here. What do you guys say about that? Let the debate rage. Nothing patently ridiculous about that list. So much of it in judging the modern guys on this list is about the postseason success. And obviously it counts a whole lot. And for legacy, you know, Altuve is the toast of the town. He's the most iconic player now in this franchise history because he's a postseason legend in addition to everything else that he's done. Jeff Bagwell, uh, Craig Biggio secondarily, were basically postseason duds. But great players, we have all their returns. So, you know, how much do you apportion the evaluation of the player and his total career to the postseason, which is a very, very small slice in terms of percentage, the number of games. But if you're going to upscore it, and it's reasonable to do so, especially when you're at two World Series wins and four trips, but over the course of their careers, Jeff Bagwell, flat out and by a good distance, was better in the batter's box than Jose Altuve, dot, 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 until you get to the postseason. And I totally understand the argument. And if you have reveled in this era of Astros baseball, you can understandably scream till you're blue in the face. Drive for show, putt for dough. And the postseason <laughs> is the putting green. And Altuve was Ben Crenshaw on there. And Bagwell was more uh, Scott Hoke. Hoke is in choke. A guy missed an 18-inch putt once to win the Masters. Um, but Bagwell, you know, the number of seasons, over a decade worth, where Bagwell was an absolute monster. If you match up Altuve's best season with Bagwell's best season, Bagwell's was better. Second season, they're about equal. Then third best season, Bagwell's better. Fourth best season, Bagwell's better. Fifth best season, Bagwell's better. Bagwell, I don't think underappreciated. He's a Hall of Famer, and he too is iconic in Houston. But uh, Jeff Bagwell is arguably a, a top six first baseman of all time, but there's that giant stain of the postseason, right? The supermodel with this just oozing, ugly zit that you can't help but look at. Whereas Altuve, you know, he has, what is it, porcelain skin? Is that the, is that the compliment? And then in the postseason, if anything, it's even prettier. Uh, but Jeff Bagwell, much higher, much higher on base percentage, much higher slugging percentage. Much higher OPS and OPS plus because, yes, we should build in that Bagwell accrued his numbers. Whatever you think of any individual player, offensive inflation existed substantially during the peak steroid years. Um, so I'll hold off on Jordan. So, uh, Josh, your bite at the apple on Altuve, et cetera. <laughs> 
Fair enough. I think a lot of this is recency bias, right? You know, Bagwell's last season, he only played 39 games. We remember the shoulder being a problem and the post, he just wasn't the same player anymore. You know, he was, you know, much older, 37 years old. So that's part of it. I think it's about moments too. We all think of Altuve hitting the home run off of Chapman and it just all these other great moments because they're they're in this little mini dynasty that they're in the middle of right now. So it's just right fresh in your mind and it's about what have you given the city? You know, Altuve's helped give you two World Series championships and championships where he went through the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox. It just the, the best organizations in baseball, the Astros took care of business. So and they finished the deal coming back in 2022 after all the talk after the scandal. They set the record straight. You know, it's seven straight ALCSs. There wasn't anything like that that I saw the Astros doing back in the day with Bagwell and Biggio, but this is a, a full resume list. You know, Bagwell and Biggio are already in the Hall of Fame. There, there's no lock. You know, there's, we don't know what's going to happen with Altuve going forward. We think he's going to do great, but nobody really knows. So, yeah, it's just a list of what's been accomplished so far. This is not a list based off of potential. So I think Jordan, if he stays healthy, he can certainly – you know, rise up this list quickly. But as we talked about in the other video, I think Brandon, you pointed out, it was like three straight years. He's played less and less games for Jordan. He's trending in the wrong direction. So for now, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't think it's a big insult to these guys. They, they have a lot of time left in their careers to say what they want to say and, and put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. And as discussed here before, a war is not a be all end all in evaluation of players, but wins above replacement is not a bad catch all number, at least as a, a talking point. Jeff Bagwell career war, basically 80. Jose Altuve is just under 50 and counting right with six more years now under contract, the years where he will add on to all those counting stats. But he's more than a thousand hits behind Craig Biggio uh, at this point. Well, does he narrow that gap and completely wipe it out, go over 3,000, and then uh, pass uh, Biggio with 61 hits beyond that? You know, how many more home runs does Altuve tack on? Is he a 300 career home run guy as a second baseman as well? Conversely, uh, Jeff Bagwell, with his end years, it pulled his career batting average under 300, 297. Uh, Altuve's at 307. If he's going to play six years and when he's 37, 38, and nine, he's more 275, 280 hitter, it pulls it down. Well, where does he uh, come in on there? End of the, the day, right, there are three just tremendous all time legacy players. Altuve, though, trumps all in terms of uh, iconicism, iconography, whatever word we'll go with there. And, and as for Jordan, I mean, he's a pup. Uh, Josh mentioned the the playing time, right? Uh, availability is a key ability. Jordan has one pretty full workload major league season where he was an absolute monster, right? Rookie of the year, he was historic, but he played 87 games. 2020 COVID shortened season. Well, Jordan, no season, right? Two games. Uh, 2021, he was very good, very good. But Jordan's 2021 would not have been one of Jeff Bagwell's 10 best seasons. 2022, Jordan, the big man, was big, 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 big. But even then, he played 135 games. Right, Bagwell had a number of seasons where he played all 162, routinely playing over 155 once he got over the hand-breaking stuff three seasons in a row. And this past year, again, Jordan MVP-level performance, but over 114 games. So that stuff matters. Jordan's not yet at 20 career war. I mean, if we're going to talk about at his very best, 
who are you taking? Well, then Jordan Amalt immediately, you know, vaults right into the top five. Postseason, Jordan was incredible last year, but the Astros didn't get to the World Series. 2022, he actually wasn't very good, except for coming up with three of the most significant hits in Astros history, starting with Robbie Ray and then ending with Jose Alvarado. You know, he's a 200 hitter in the World Series for his career, Jordan Alvarez. But again, those moments. And, you know, I defend Bagwell and Biggio to a logical hilt. But what's the signature positive postseason moment for each of those guys? Altuve, you need more than two hands to get there. And Jordan, we're already on our mm-hmm. second hand. And certainly that matters, especially for those who live and die with the Astros. And I'm sure Altuve, being the humble guy that he is, would say that it's an honor just to be mentioned with those other two guys. In recency and bias. Video. Right, exactly. And recency bias for Jordan, yes. But Jose Altuve has the second most postseason home runs in history, two behind Man Ram. So he has already cemented himself as, I think modern day legend is not exaggerating, especially if you're a New York Yankee fan, which by the way, Robert Cohen is the author of this book, Born in the Bronx. So read whatever you know you want to into that, whatever New York bias filter there may be. So perhaps that's maybe why he's not at number one. But I think it's more has to do with long-term stats. We didn't even mention Bagwell played the majority of his career in the Dome. Those stats are even more impressive when you think about that gigantic field that he played in. Jose, as feared as in the postseason as Bagwell was in the regular season. And while Biggio wasn't as as feared towards the back third, it's obviously the longevity that we point to with him. And, and that is very impressive. It's so hard to weigh postseason success and kind of mix it in here because while those moments are more iconic, as you pointed to, Charlie, it's also very dependent on what the rest of your team is doing as well because Altuve could hit 500 in the postseason, but if he was surrounded by guys that aren't getting the job done, which that hasn't been the case. He's been surrounded by guys who have been equally as clutch and sometimes the unlikeliest of guys being equally clutch where it's Chaz McCormick hitting home runs off of Garrett Cole or making uh, amazing poster catches in the outfield. So if you're not surrounded by guys who are stepping up in those moments, you can hit as well as you want to, but your stats don't matter because the results aren't there. And so those moments won't be as iconic. There's a pretty coherent argument that Bagwell and Biggio, right, always attached at the hip though, incredible individually, that they were more responsible for getting the Astros to postseasons, at least the front half uh, of that era, than Altuve and any other Astro. Well, I guess let's go with Bregman since he's been here for, for the duration because they were better overall deeper clubs with the exception of the 98 Astros, who I think stand with the, the very best of, of this generation post-Randy Johnson uh, acquisition at the, at the deadline back in 98. Right? Jeremy Pena is the example. A legendary postseason, but he's a middle-of-the-pack shortstop. Right. So we're ranking shortstops. Jeremy Pena doesn't go in the top five because he had an incredible postseason in 2022. So it's, you know, where, where do you fall on it? And that's fine. There's no absolute definitive right answer. I will say for the, the New York writer, if he had Altuve sixth, you'd say, all right, that's not passing a smell test. But he had him third behind right. two made men finished product Hall of Famers. And Jordan, uh, like Altuve, under contract for many more seasons. Of course, Jordan's still in what should be the, the first third uh, of his big league career. So uh, another parlor game. You know, is Jordan ultimately a 400 homer guy? 450, right? Bagwell's franchise records, 449. Uh, We're looking at Jordan running that down years from now. Durability is going to be a massive component of that. 
I told you in the pre-show, Charlie, I, if you thought I wasn't going to bring up this guy being from the Bronx, then you haven't watched Stone Cold Strohs enough. And to your point about Pena, Pena not a top five shortstop, but I would say perhaps top five shortstop performances in postseason history. And that illustrates the dichotomy of measuring iconic moments versus the entirety of someone's career. Quick numbers context thing on the subject. Uh, Jordan has a career OPS of 978 which is absolute Hall of Fame stuff if you have the bulk of a, a career to go with it. Uh, Moises Alou played three seasons with the Astros, 98 in the Dome, then 99 he missed after tearing an ACL, supposedly in a treadmill incident. Uh, then 2000, 2001, uh, after the move to uh, Ney and Ron Field, uh, Moises Alou over those three seasons had an OPS of 988, right? Jordan's at 978. Uh, again, steroid era, but one year in the Dome. So how do you factor that stuff? No one's going to argue that Moises Alou would be in the, the top five, um, but he's played 60 fewer games as an Astro than Jordan is at right now. Uh, Jordan would appear to be on a, a rocket ship ascending, would you say, 23 on yeah. this list now? Yeah. We're talking five years, same subject. We think we have him top 10. We'll feel comfortable there. Top five. You know, Lance Berkman was stout for, for basically a decade here. Uh, Cheo Cruz, very underrated player because his whole career – was spent in the dome destroying his power numbers. It just means we have a lot of fun Astros baseball and individual performances to watch for a good long time yet. Amen. We'll leave it there. Uh, that's going to be it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. But you don't have to wait that long to get your Houston sports fix. All you have to do is subscribe to this channel, Sports Map Houston, right now. And there'll be some bonus coverage later in the week. So that's going to be it for this show. Charlie, Josh, appreciate the conversation as always. And to everyone watching, thank you. Go Strohs. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. 